On today's episode of Let's Talk Drones, the podcast, we are talking to Emily Bailey, aka the Drone Princess. That's right, we've got the Drone Geek talking to the Drone Princess today, and we'll find out a little bit more about her profile as an aerial photographer and what she thinks of the current happenings in the world of drones. Today's episode is brought to you by Tidot and Embroidery. Check them out online, tiaembroidery.com, for all of your logo application needs. Whether you have a sports team, an organization, or a business, Tidot and Embroidery can help you look sharp while you do your job well. Plus, whether you're an organization trying to run a fundraiser or you're a small content creator like myself and you want to open up a merch store online for cheap, check out Tidot and Embroidery. They've got the capability to set you up with a custom store on their website where you can sell all of your customized merchandise through Tidot and Embroidery. Check them out online, tiaembroidery.com and on Facebook. What's up? It's Chris, the Drone Geek, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Drones, the podcast. Today, I am so excited to be joined by the Drone Princess, Emily Bailey. You can find her on Instagram at the Drone Princess, as well as on YouTube. Emily, how's it going? We've been talking about getting together on this thing for so long, and it's finally happening. <laughs> I know. It's going great. It's going really good. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. And you and I have been working a little bit on some projects, just sort of knocking things back and forth with each other when it comes to video. Now, we're working on video right now, but you have a background in, you know, using your drone as a, a photography tool, many other things. But can you just sort of give us a background, a profile on who you are as a drone professional, how you use your drone, and, you know, what you're looking to do in the future with your drone? Yeah, for sure. So I, um, I bought a drone about two years ago, and I didn't exactly know where I was going to go with it. So I started off in video and that was super complicated. So then I decided to take on more of photography and almost like a little bit, maybe some fine art photography, but I'm still in like the beginning stages of really learning how to really grasp things with that. Um, and then as far as in business goes, so it started off with just sharing photos on Facebook. And now I have jobs coming out of everywhere. It's so insane. Yeah. So as I go. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's one of those deals where a lot of people get involved with drones professionally and they're trying to earn money on them commercially. And like for the longest time, you have a hard time getting business in. And then all of a sudden something just clicks. And then you're like the drone person in your community and people are contacting you left and right about stuff. And it almost becomes like too much to handle right out of gate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I counted at least six of my girlfriends have bought drones since I got a drone. <laughs> so you're kind of like the trendsetter of your friends then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so what oh kind of what kind of drone do you fly? A Mavic Pro 2. Okay, gotcha. And was, I mean, do you what how do you feel about it? I guess you must like it. Oh, I love it. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. Like I walk outside in the morning and I'm looking at the trees to check the wind. I'm looking at the sky. I'm looking at the weather, looking at the wind on drone buddy. Like, am I going to get to fly today? You know, <laughs> like waiting for the next day to fly. And that, that's the thing is people don't understand. Like there's a lot that goes into whether or not you can fly a drone. So, you know, like if the wind, it, they could be a beautiful sunny day out, but if that wind is just a little bit too strong, I mean, it, no, you're not, you're not going to go out or at least you shouldn't yeah, go out and fly anyway. 
Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I did. I, I don't, I don't mean to bring it up if it's embarrassing, but I, I figured it's all right. Um, I did see the wedding photo with the drone. I saw that it sort of made its way, <laughs> its way in. <laughs> that was so hilarious. Yeah. So, um, I did have a drone flying over my wedding ceremony, but the funny thing is, is that it was so loud. People couldn't hear the the preacher. So I had to tell the pilot, like, go higher, go away. <laughs> and then it got so dark that we couldn't really take photos. So we actually hovered the drone over. My dad has a historic um, Model A vehicle. So we used the drone, the lights from the drone to illuminate the camera. Oh, that's, that's very cool. That's, yeah. you know, that's very intuitive. I have to say, I, and it's funny because they drones have all these different uses and, you know, a lot of people would think, well, it's just, it's just a camera, you know, but really you can use it for many different things, but that's probably the most creative use I've ever heard anybody oh, sort of totally. MacGyver a drone for. Totally. And the photos that we got, I'm kissing the drone. Um, and my husband is rolling his eyes and that is pretty much a depiction of our relationship. Like, everything is based around my drone. <laughs> yeah, now, how does he, I mean, it, I know what it's like to be a, a drone photographer, you know, an aerial imaging specialist is what I like to call myself. And my girlfriend sort of, she, she does a really good job putting up with it and she makes time and she's really supportive of what I do, but you know, it's hard for some people to sort of get on board with that because it's like everywhere you go, you have to launch your drone or bring your drone yeah. with you. How does he handle that? Oh, super supportive. Like, more than supportive. So he's an artist. So usually if we're out somewhere flying like the beach, he'll bring a sketch pad and he'll be sitting off and then I'll tell him to relocate, get out of my picture, you know, <laughs> and go do art, you know, a little further over or whatever. But no, he's he's very supportive. That's that's cool. I'm glad to hear that. And I, that seems to be like the overwhelming response that I get from a lot of my friends in the drone community is their significant other is uh, very supportive of it. I, I've had a few that are like, well, they don't really like the price tag on what I do. <laughs> and it's like, right. yeah, it's a little expensive, but it's I'm glad to hear that he supports it. Um, but I mean, why wouldn't he support it? You're, you're pretty successful in your own right. I mean, you've got a nice following on Instagram. Uh, you've won, you know, a few awards for what, you know, you, what pictures you've captured. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And, you know, some of the awards you've won and some of the contests you enter? Yeah. So I entered, um, it was, I got an email from Tamron and it was just like accepting all kinds of photos. So I made sure that drone photography was allowed into that. And, um, that was, from probably February of last year, I didn't hear that I was a finalist or anything until I believe it was September 15th. Wow. And I made top 10 out of thousands, hundreds of thousands of photos. And what was crazy about that is the image was an image of a boat that has been wrecked in our hometown for um, over 15 years from wow. Hurricane Ivan. So what was crazy is that actually on the anniversary of that hurricane, we were going through Hurricane Sally. So we had no power um, for half the day, but I somehow managed to get internet and found out that I was the top 10 finalist in that competition. And That's then, that photo, yeah, that photo has kind of floated through the Boston Drone Film Festival. And then now I'm in another contest for that. That's very cool. And so you're currently waiting to hear how you do in this, this contest you're in right now. I know how I did. I just can't talk about it. Oh, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. I mean, I, I, I won't, I won't prize. Good news? Is it bad news? You know, no, how, how do you feel? Good. 
Okay. It's good. Good. Yeah, good. It's well, awesome. I'm I'm glad to hear that you know what it is. I'll be anxious to hear myself how you did. Yeah, I'll uh, later. That's very cool. That's very cool. Um, yeah. So I mean, very accomplished photographer. And uh, the the conversation I have with a lot of people, and it goes one way or the other, is they buy a drone, they become an aerial imaging specialist, and maybe they have a background in photography, or maybe they have a background in video, and then they try to make the crossover. And there are some challenges that come with that, because even though like a lot of the same elements of a camera work the same way from, from photo to video, there are some changes or some differences, especially in the post-production process that make it challenging. So I, I know that you've been getting more and more into video. And I think that's, that's freaking cool because like the, the more that drones get advanced, I think the more they're going to be used on a video application basis. Tell us some of the challenges you've had as somebody coming from, uh, you know, an accomplished person when it comes to photography with your drone to now all of a sudden you're getting into the video game and you're sort of starting from square one. What's that like? That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole other ball field. Like, ah, man, I, it's challenging. It's fun. It's cool. I think the most challenging part for me right now is learning how to get all the aspects to tell the story completely. Mm -hmm. So and also just working in Premiere Pro. I mean, I have no education in this. I am totally like Google on on the way of trying to learn, you know, trying to put a video together and Googling my way through it. So, yeah, I think that yeah. there's more people out there that are, you know, subscribe to that process of, I'm just going to edit and edit and edit the way that I know how until I run into something where I need somebody to help me. And then I'll get on YouTube or Google and look it up. So I, I do that all the time. Like I just go, all right, let's get in here and let's do what I know. Okay. I've run into something that I don't know how to do. Now I need to go to YouTube and, and see somebody do it so that yeah, I can sort exactly. of take that in for myself. But yeah, I, I, I don't think that's abnormal at all, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting when you can sort of take what you already knew with your drone and expand it outward. Do you have any aspirations to get into like the mapping side of things, like the more like data driven stuff that drones can do? I don't think that that's really my personality at all. Like, I feel like somebody like that needs to be very tedious, very detailed. I prefer more the creative work. Like I enjoy the storytelling. So that's where I would rather head into that versus going into technicalities and, and mapping. And that would lead me to places that, you know, I've flown over a lot of plot of trees. I don't want to do that for a living. <laughs> right. No, I, I get that. I, I think that the other mistake people make too, when they, they try to jump into, and not that it would be a mistake necessarily, but uh, a lot of people that I know that have tried to jump into the, the infrared or the mapping or, you know, whatever the case may be, the thermal stuff, they don't understand that you actually need an understanding of how to read like a, an elevation chart and how to read like a FLIR image where you've got like heat signatures all over the, the picture. The, that's not just something that you can take photos of or collect that data and just give it to people. They want you to actually interpret it for them. So if you don't have that backward, that background or that skill set to sort of fall back on, it, you're sort of doing something that really people won't pay for unless you're doing it for a company that specializes in that, which nine chances out of 10, they have a drone that does it already anyway. So uh, I think that's the biggest thing. But I mean, photo and video is just, it's got its own challenges, but it's one of those things where if you really put your mind to it and you just try it, I'm a testament to it. You can learn a lot in a very short amount of time if you take it seriously. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing that I've had just the best advantage is just making friends in the industry. 
So I have you and I have other mentors that, you know, if I need anything, I just reach out. Like I'm not one of those people that is afraid to ask for help. Like I would tell you right now, I need help, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I need all the help I can get, but it, sometimes it takes a community, you know, to get things done and then you learn the way. Oh, absolutely. And I see more and more pages popping up like this, but one of my favorite pages to follow on Instagram is drone like a girl, because it seems like it's just like this really nice network of female professional aerial imaging specialists. But so it, it sort of focuses more on that side of things. But the, the, the premise of it is just so cool because it's like a bunch of people that have this common thing that they do coming together and sort of sharing what they do and giving them a platform to talk about it and sort of generate some interest. And I, I like seeing more and more of that on Instagram, on Facebook, on all these different platforms where communities can get together and talk about it. I, I belong to five or six different drone communities on Facebook and I get on there and I learn something new every day from them. It, it's, it's just super important that you sort of, when I got into it, I sort of saw other people as competition. And as I've sort of settled into my role in the drone world, I've started to realize that they're not necessarily all competition and that I can learn a lot from some people if I just open up and let them in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's several really great um, drone communities and most, you know, for women or whatever, women who drone is one of them that I'm pretty active in as far as following and commenting, you know, and yeah, it definitely makes a huge difference. Some of the bigger platforms, you know, you get more Facebook banter, whatever you want to call it. And then that's where it kind of goes like, okay, that's not as fun as, you know, give me the resources, give me the the tips and tricks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and that's, you sort of do have to take the good with the bad. And like those Facebook groups are a perfect example. You get on there and some people say some really off the wall shit every once in a while. And you're just like, okay, I'm staying away from that post. Uh, but overall, I, I like, I see a lot of value in those types of groups because it does bring like-minded people together to sort of share that information and that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. But um yeah, so it's sort of a, an awkward transition, but it is a question that I have. So I noticed from being your friend personally on social media, as well as following your profile on Instagram and YouTube, for that matter, you've got a couple of videos up on your YouTube channel, which you're starting to invest more energy into at this point. Um, you've been to a lot of different places, a lot of cool places in the world. What's your most favorite place you've ever taken your drone to fly? And tell me a little bit about that and why it's your most favorite. Well, my most favorite place on earth is Bali, Indonesia. Um, I did take my drone there, which was the first time that I took my drone anywhere. So basically I'd say it like this. I basically pulled the drone out of the box and went to Bali. And (laughs) um, I um, hired a photographer there in Bali and he taught me how to catch my drone in my hand. So I learned that and um, it was very free flying space, great practice. I got to fly over um, to Galalang, which is uh, rice fields. It's just insanely beautiful and you don't have to worry about helicopters or light poles or a lot of people. So I would definitely say that was the most fun. And Croatia. Um, Croatia was really cool on the beach. Zlatni Rat Beach was really awesome. The water, the way that the I don't know, the water goes around the sand is just so unique. So that was really cool too. 
That is cool. And I, I just want to go back a step. The photographer you hired taught you how to catch your drone in your hand. I don't know what your experience is with doing that around people, but I recently just realized like some people look at me when I do that and think I'm crazy for doing it. I was on a project. We were shooting something for a hospital. I'm sort of also you know, sworn to confidentiality on this particular project until they publish it. But uh, I was on flying the drone, watching them do what they were doing at this hospital because there's this big event going on. And there was a team of photographers around me that I was hired to be a part of. And I launched the drone and then it was time to bring it back and change the battery out. So I brought it down. And of course, everybody cleared the way because they thought I was going to land right in front of them when right. really I had my hand outstretched and I just caught it in my hand. And the one guy looked at me, he was like, did you just land that in your hand? And I was like, you know, I've been doing that forever. So I was like, yeah, that's not a big deal. And he was like, that's insane. He's why <laughs> he was like, you're gonna get to lose a finger. if You keep doing that. It's like, no, it's, it's not hard. If you just like trust the, the drone knows what it's doing with the sensors and everything like that. It's really not hard. But yeah. have you had a similar experience? Has anybody ever looked at you and gone? I would never do that. Yes. Oh yeah. Every time. And, and I think it's so funny because I always picture myself of like the statue of Liberty or this like demigod catching this like aircraft in my hand, like come home, baby, you know, and <laughs> people are just so impressed. I'm like, yeah, it's really nothing. You know? I've, I've found myself and I've caught myself and I, I'm becoming like a crazy drone man. Like Every time I land the drone in my hand, I always land it with the camera facing me. And I say something corny to the effect of like, oh, there you are, or welcome back or something. Like I talk to it like it's a living thing and I can't help myself. I just do it every time. That's so funny. I always land mine with the butt. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, there you go, big booty Judy. Come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Can you tell me about what your worst encounter flying was? Have you ever had anybody approach you aggressively or, you know, ask you, you know, things that maybe seemed a little bit too personal when you're flying your drone? Tell us a little bit about that, because I know a lot of pilots encounter that. And sometimes it's hard to know how to handle those situations. Um, for the most part, my experience has been really, really pleasant. Um, most people want to know how much the drone cost, you know, your average five questions. Mm -hmm. Have you had it? You know, are you, you know, licensed, whatever. Um, only one time have I had a really terrible experience. And this was after hurricane Sally, I was, um, uh, nearby a broken dock with some half sunken boats, a lot of hurricane debris. And, um, a man came up to me and said, you know, you're on private property, you need to leave. And I was with a friend and we said, okay, well, you know, we'll get our stuff and go. Well, we didn't move fast enough. And I said, sir, you know, we're flying, we're flying our drones. We're going to land them. And then we'll, we'll be right out. And he circled around in his car and basically berated me the whole time. Didn't say anything to my guy friend, just said, you know, you look like a very educated woman. How could you be so stupid? I'm thinking, what damage could I do? The damage is done. Right. I'm st you were mad that I was on your property. I've told you that yeah. I'm leaving your property that it's over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not fighting you. I, I was just kind of like, why are you so angry? And I just kind of chalked it up to, you know, this year was tough. We had coronavirus obviously, and now a, a hurricane. So he just had a bad day, but there was a moment there where I was like, I don't know if this guy's going to run us over or shoot us or something. I don't know, but we both, we both were shaking when we left and we didn't fly the rest of the day. We're like, we're done. That's, uh, that, that's the tough thing is knowing how people are going to react because you're just so like, uh, 
for people that are watching or listening to this that don't necessarily fly drones or you don't fly professionally, or maybe you just haven't really looked into all of the rules, when you're flying a drone, you you are operating an aircraft. It's an unmanned aircraft, but it's an aircraft all the same. So your number one priority is keeping your attention focused on what's at hand with your drone. If you're not doing that, you're not flying responsibly and you're not just you know putting your drone in danger. You're putting anybody that's under your drone, any aircraft that are sharing the airspace with your drone, you're putting all of them in danger as well. So I don't mean to sound melodramatic, but it's a huge responsibility it, you, and you need to take it seriously. So when you have somebody come up to you that's yelling at you about being on their private property or yelling at you because they think you're spying on them with their drone, it's a giant distraction and it can cause cause a really high level of stress because you've got this huge responsibility in the air. And then you've got somebody that could potentially just be crazy and do something crazy to you while you're flying your drone. It's a lot to handle and process all at once. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely yeah. is. It's very distracting too. I mean, you know, most people are nice and I'm nice back, but I'm kind of like, I really want you to go away. <laughs> you leave you know, me uh, yeah, it's me and my drone time. Like, a date, you know. I've heard, I've heard that like getting one of those fluorescent safety vests with like FAA or like remote pilot, not FAA. I don't think you're allowed to do that. But if you put like remote pilot operating a drone on the back or something like that, a lot of it tends to deter people because you look a little bit more official. So maybe try that. I haven't tried it for myself yet, but that is on my to do list is to get one of those just so that I can avoid some of those unwanted interactions with people. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I actually. Um... I bought one of those on eBay. Oh no. <laughs> it was like a three times too big. So I'm, I'm about like five one. And this thing was like a dress, a fluorescent dress. And my friend was like, do not wear that. That is embarrassing. And I was like, learn it on this podcast. <laughs> Best especially because they're not made for like tiny women, you know, they're made for construction workers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I hadn't even considered, I guess that's male privilege, but I hadn't even considered that if I ordered one of those, it probably is going to fit like, okay, but for somebody that's five foot one, it's, it's going to be a little harder to fit into. Yeah. I wish I still had it. I sold it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it would have been a nice collector's piece. You could have hung it in your office and been like, oh yeah, that, I, that was my vest. <laughs> I would probably start some outlandish, like this like weight loss journey story. I'd be like, yeah, that was my vest. And yeah. now I wear a small vest. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the worst encounter flying, it happens to everybody. Uh, I'm glad that some people do get away without too much craziness going on while they're flying their drone. Uh, but that brings up a good point. There's been conversation recently, and we have a few points I want to touch on with you, especially as a, an actual aerial imaging specialist. Um, we have some things coming up in the drone world that are going to ruffle some feathers, make some people uncomfortable, and might outright ruin the hobby side of things. And those things are the unmanned aircraft traffic management system and remote ID. Those are the two big ones coming up. I know that you've been looking into remote ID. So I want to talk to you about that a little bit more in depth. And if you don't have a lot of information, that's fine. I, I'm still sort of learning things. I, all I know is the stuff that they released in that press release. But what are your thoughts and feelings on remote ID? Everybody sort of has their own stance. So I'm curious as to what yours is. Um, I see it as another obstacle to fly in places. Um, I understand the idea of, you know, creating safer airspace, because I think we do have a problem. You can go buy a drone, you can throw it up into the air, break all the rules, not know anything. I mean, 
how many of us really bought a drone knowing anything about airspace? I mean, I feel like until I really got my 107, I don't think that you can really fully respect the air in the way that it's meant to be respected. Um, so I definitely think maybe that's a good thing, but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see. I'm worried yeah. about how are they going to do this with the modular on top? Is, is my drone going to fall out of the sky? Is it going to be too heavy? Am I not going to be able to attach a loom cube or anything else to my drone because of that additional weight? Or, you know, if it's integrated in the software, are we going to have to buy new drones? Because I mean, this is like my first child, you know? <laughs> yeah. And sit on my, my wall and look at me, you know, those are like that. Those are the, the main points that everybody's concerned about. And rightfully so, because there's, there's a lot of questions up in the air. Uh, I, I think, and somebody told me that I'm wrong on this, but I don't think that I am. I believe that for DJI drones, it is going to be a firmware retrofit issue where they're going to actually have to send out an update in order for the drone to be able to broadcast remote ID. Now that takes into consideration the idea that it's going to just be a Wi-Fi signal or, or some sort of a signal that the drone can broadcast off of it, similar to like what your remote control can communicates, you know, some sort of radio frequency. So that being said, if that's the case, I think the DJI drones and maybe even Autel and Skydia, those those ready to fly drones that have all of that, those bells and whistles, it may just be a firmware update that they need to be able to transmit that remote ID. But the people that are I really feel badly for with the implementation of this are going to be the FPV guys. I, I feel super bad for them because if there's no hardware retrofit, you can't put a module on that can actually broadcast that signal out they're not going to be able to fly the quads they've spent time and money building and the effort to learn how to fly them. It's, it's just not going to be an option. No, but I think that there is a little opportunity in the smaller drone arena. So if, um, from what I've read, if your drone is, um, you know, the size of a Mavic mini or smaller, um, you won't have to do any of that. So that leads maybe some opportunities for the smaller drones to become more capable, maybe like the Mavic Pro, but in a smaller size where you don't have to, you know, go through all the retrofit or whatever. So. Yeah. And I, I touch on that. I just released a video today talking about the Mavic 3 leak. I don't know if you saw it. We'll talk a little bit about that too. But um, so uh, about a year ago, I did a video on a Mavic 3 leak because some wise guy on the internet released a, a sketch of what the Mavic 3 is going to look like. It just so happened that about a week and a half ago, Drone XL, the, the drone news site, released an article talking about a DJI insider that sent them a sketch of the Mavic 3. And they're projecting it's going to be out in 2022, all that good stuff. But um, it, it, I brought up a, a point in my video talking about how for the past two or three years, DJI has been focusing largely on the Mavic Mini models and the Mavic Air models. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I, I, I really think that they have taken the spotlight off of their prosumer level drones, their Mavics, their Phantoms, their Inspires, to focus it more on those mini drones because those are going to be the low-hanging fruit once remote ID is put into place because they, they don't even qualify for remote ID. They're too small. Uh, the Air would, obviously, but I, I think they're also working to scale that back and make that a little bit more lightweight so they don't have to worry about it so much yeah i think so i think they're kind of trying to be ahead of that curve when it comes and also i mean let's face it i mean not i i would highly doubt that most people that are just getting into drones are just going to go buy a mavic pro 2. i mean my first drone was a 50 dollars amazon drone that i crashed as soon as i launched it <laughs> <laughs> 
people are going to be more interested in buying a, a smaller drone before they really get serious and invest in a bigger drone. So. I, I agree with that. My first drone was a well, I, my my first drone was my dad's drone. He got one for Christmas. It was a Hubson Zeno X5 or, or Desire X5 is what it was. And it, it was just like the, the ricketiest little thing. You know, it was fun to fly. It flew a lot like an FPV where you had to actually hold the throttle. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to fly. But my first official drone that was mine was a Christmas gift. Somebody got me a Phantom 3. My parents got me a, a Phantom 3. And sort of to your point, you talked a little bit earlier, that was just, I didn't even consider that I needed to be obeying airspace laws. So like naturally, and I'm not afraid to admit this, uh, I would hope that I wouldn't get in trouble for it at this point. But, uh, I, you know, my first thing that I went out there was let's see how high it can go. <laughs> you know, so I just put my phantom up as high as I could. And luckily, I mean, you know, when I was living with them, I was in a very small town. So there's not a lot of air traffic that goes over top. But, it, you know, there's a lot of need for remote ID. Uh, but yeah, let's get back onto the point. The point is most people when they get into drones is going to be they're, they're going to be going for those smaller, less expensive drones, because they're afraid they're going to crash one of those more expensive drones where you look at like 1500 2000 dollars so uh, i don't think that dji was being dumb uh i think they were ignoring their prosumer drones for a reason and it was to put more effort into their their more entry-level drones with the mavic mini and the mini 2 um and i think that's they're not dumb that they're, they're in a business for a reason and they're the top of the food chain for a reason so i think moving forward most drone companies are going to start to adopt that model of going smaller so that they can sort of dodge those remote id requirements yeah, absolutely. For sure. But so you have a Mavic 2 Pro. Do you have any desire to try any other brands? I mean, have you thought about getting the Autel Evo 2 or the Skydio? What you know, has there been any kind of sway in your loyalty? Yeah, the Skydio. Um, I've looked into that a little bit just based on its um, I think it's it's follow me function or whatever seems to be a lot better, like through trees and stuff like that. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it. I think if I'm correct, I think Kevin Durant might be um, part owner or something in that. Really? That up. Yeah. Interesting, huh? <laughs> I think it's Skydio. Yeah, that's Skydio. And I really love Kevin Durant. So I, I read the article about that and that was kind of cool. Um, but I do have a little interest in FPV. However, I don't know if I would go with the DJI FPV. And that's something that I won't tackle just yet. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. From a friend to a friend, if you're going to go FPV, my, my, and I also did a video on this, but shameless self-promotion. If you're going to get into FPV, my suggestion would be to get into it with, you know, one that you build yourself, or you can even get like a, a, a kit that you, you know, they have already got all the parts for you and you just have to put it together or even a pre-built one. But I would not do the DJI FPV. There's a lot of reasons for it. And the primary one for me is that A, if you, if you break the DJI FPV, you're going to be paying a lot of money to get it fixed, even with the care plus uh it's it's super expensive to fix but b people aren't considering this because the camera on the fpv is really good you can't change like there's no upgrading that you know on an fpv drone that you build and you attach like a gopro to new gopro comes out it's got better specs on it you just swap it out you go buy your four or five hundred dollar action cam you just swap it out. You're good to go. DJI, you're going to have to wait till the next FPV drone comes out to get the next best camera. So there, there's no 
unless you customize it, you, you strap something to it, but I don't think that's going to be effective at all. So I would say build one for sure. Yeah. I have the controller and a simulator. I don't, I don't even know what brand it is. Um, I've tried the Sims a few times. It's tough. <laughs> it, it is. It's a different type of flying. Um, I, I will say this. I, I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo on DJI's FPV stuff. Their goggles and their controller are super good. Apparently uh, the people that I've talked to that fly FPV and they did it before the FPV drone from DJI came out all rave about how good their goggles are, especially because of that low latency and you get like a high res image. It's, it's just really nice, I guess. So there are aspects of what DJI is doing in the FPV community that I'd be like, yeah, go for it. But I wouldn't get the drone. <laughs> I don't plan on it. Good. <laughs> far in the future. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sort of, I don't know how you feel, but I'm sort of happy with my Mavic. Like it's just real, you know, it's, it's not a stressful experience. I, you know, my adrenaline's not real high when I'm flying, but at the same time, like I'm having a good time. So I'm not trying to get away from it too quickly. I have a weird phobia too. Like to be wearing goggles and not be able to really see around what's happening that could pose an issue being a female and I'm usually in places, I, you know, sketchy, alligator, <laughs> mud, dirt, I, you know, who knows? I you're, just don't know if I want to be that unaware. You're like, really you're like planning your, your trips on the, on, during the week and you're, Emily's like, I'm going to go to the, the worst ghetto that I possibly can. And I'm going to launch my drone and we're going to get all the pictures and it doesn't matter what happens. <laughs> I really love like abandoned places and sometimes that's a little sketchy. <laughs> it, it can be, it can be. I've seen some of your pictures and it looks like it, like you're on top of something that used to be a building and maybe like it's a little overgrown and there's, you know, weeds and stuff. Growing. And those make for really cool pictures because it's such a nice crossover between like an urban picture and maybe a little bit more of like a, a natural picture. It's, it's very cool what you do in some of those environments. Yeah, yeah it's cool. But so we'll go back to the unmanned traffic system. I talked a little bit about remote ID. Um, I think that your stance is, is not dissimilar from a lot of other people's. Uh, the more that they talk about remote ID, the more that I'm like, okay, yeah, we do need this. Uh, we need to figure out how everybody can still fly after we've implemented it, but we definitely need something. But the one thing that I will say we definitely need, and there's no two ways about it, is a traffic management system. Right now, largely, there's no way to keep track of fellow drone traffic in the air unless you're using like an open radio frequency. And the, the chances of somebody else being on that as a drone pilot are slim to none. Most people don't do that. Um, so there's really no way to account for one another. And so the, the traffic management system, I think, is super important. And that needs to be developed. But have, did you hear about what AirMap did? No. Okay, so uh, about a month ago, AirMap got on their Twitter account and tweeted out about the the opportunity for the traffic management system, which I think we all agree we need. But th they talked about the opportunity of charging drone operators fees and taxes to use the traffic management system. So they are in favor of monetizing this traffic management system and everybody lost their, like people went bananas over this, not in a good way either. And it, like, they just, everybody's been boycotting air maps. So I always try to tell people when they're asking me about like, what do you use to get your link or what do you use to get your authorization? I don't use air map. That's exactly how I start that conversation. Don't use air map, but I do use Kitty Hawk, you know? So, uh, but did you hear about any of, you didn't hear about any of that? 
Mm -mm. (laughs) it's it's interesting what are what are your feelings on that i i assume that they're going to be much the same as mine but what are your feelings on that the idea of charging taxes and fees to use the airspace essentially you know i hate to say it i mean i'm not surprised i'm really not um but i definitely don't want to pay taxes and fees for for that i mean no, thank you. I don't really have much more information about it to make it seem like it would be worth it. I mean, it would depend on the cost. You know, are we talking $5 a month? Are we talking $50 a month? There's a big difference there. Yeah. And I, for you and me, we, we make money and many others like us with our drone. Like we, we use our drone to make money. So for people like us, it, uh, I don't want it to happen. I don't want anybody to mistake what I'm about to say here. I don't want them to charge. It should not be monetized. The traffic management system should be free to everybody. But for us, it's not nearly as much of a blow because we can work that into our pricing. We, we can offset that cost. It's the people that don't make money with their drones, those hobbyists, those people that just are in it for the fun of it. They're the ones that are going to sort of take it on the chin with that because in order to already maintain and take advantage of their very expensive hobby, they need to pay even more money just to use the thing that they purchased to have fun with. So that's really why I'm against it is because there are people out there that just they have a drone just to have fun with it. That's all they care about is just having fun. And you're just punishing those people by monetizing the system. Because if you're already paying thousands and thousands of dollars for these drones, and then you say, okay, you're, you're going to have to pay $20 to fly it for fun. People just aren't going to do it anymore. It would kill the industry. It would. It, it really would. I think that there's a larger portion of the industry that is purely hobbyist than people like to give credit for. Uh, I think that it's a growing number of people that are doing it commercially, uh, whether that's with the 107 or illegally without it. But I I think for the most part, the majority of our industry is just people that enjoy flying. I I think they like just putting their drone up and having fun for a half an hour, an hour, and then they land it and they go inside. You know, I I think that's what a lot of people do. I think so too. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, well, I, I would definitely encourage you and I encourage everybody to look into that. And for the love of God, if you use AirMap, please stop using AirMap. Kitty Hawk is a much better alternative because they've actually come out with a counter statement saying they don't want it to be monetized. And I, overall, after switching from AirMap to Kitty Hawk, I'm much happier with the interface. I think it's a lot smoother. Um, so I if, just, just my opinion. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on. Um, Another, another hot button thing that I, I'm really interested to get your opinion on is working for exposure. Uh, this is a really touchy subject with me and a lot of people, and I really like to hear where everybody stands. The biggest thing that we face, and I know that you probably feel this as well as your husband too, because he's an artist, you said, so I'm sure he gets this a lot too, is people trying to get your work, your photos, your videos, whatever, at no monetary cost to them. They offer you exposure through a tag on their Instagram channel, or they offer you uh, you know, a referral to another company that will pay you. And there are all these things they try to offer you that don't spell out to an actual economic gain for yourself or a financial gain for yourself. Have you ever had an experience? I'm sure you have. Have you ever had an experience like that? And can you tell us a little bit about how you handled that and how you sort of push back on that in the most polite and professional way possible? Um, you know, I get a lot of DMs like that, like, hey, can we share your stuff, blah, blah, blah. And originally I just, I was doing this for fun. So I didn't really care. Um, but I would say no, you know, to a lot of people, especially like, um, random groups that are like, Hey, we started this stock image thing. We'll pay you 
you know, basically pennies on the dollar and we'll keep the rest. So I'm like, mm, no, I'd rather not sell anything at all than to sell it to you, you know, for nothing. Um, i trying to think if there's been any other real big incidents. Most, I, I feel like most of my experiences are, you know, like our local area, they reached out, they want to buy images, you know, they're willing to negotiate. So that was good. But I haven't had a lot of experience in the other way. Now, sometimes um, people do steal my images and they, I've even had my Instagram being like another drone princess created an Instagram. And what? Added all my friends. Yeah, that was super weird. That's so weird. I didn't know that. What happened there? Tell me about that. I have no idea. I just woke up one day and I had a bunch of messages like, hey, somebody is posing you your profile. And I'm like, what? You know, I don't even think <laughs> photos on it, but it was just like, I think it was called the real drone princess. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> yeah. I'm the real slim shady. Okay. <laughs> I bet you stood up real fast and you were like, nope, that's my stuff. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, who would do that? You know, that's just so bizarre. Oh, that's so slimy. I hate that. It's kind of interesting that you talk about learning different techniques in photography. And I've made a lot of photographer friends that don't necessarily fly drones or they don't do it as regularly as I do. And they're teaching me more about the tricks of the trade when it comes to taking photos. One of them is watermarking. I used to just throw my watermark down in the lower right-hand corner of all my photos and just call it a day. Cause I was like, you know what? It's fine, whatever. But they were like, no, 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 no. They can easily crop that stuff out and just use it then. And there's no way for, if you don't have some sort of way to prove that that's your photo, it's hard for you to sort of go after them for that. So they taught me how to actually lay in my watermark in an area that I'll remember, but it's not so like obvious to the naked eye. Like you'd really have to zoom in and check it out. So unless people want to play a giant game of where's Waldo with my super compressed photos off of Instagram, they're not going to very easily get away, get away with stealing my photos. So they're just these small tricks of the trade, but I've started to do that more regularly now. So I'm waiting to see the next person that does that. And I'm going to just like screenshot, you know, where my watermark is. I'm going to send it to him and go, Hey, uh, yeah, that's my photo. Take it down, please. Or pay me, <laughs> you know? Um, I did have a situation, um, locally and nothing came about it, but, um, I took a photo for a local, um, a little bar. So I actually did their, um, did their videography for them, but I didn't actually do photography. This was just on my own time. And then, um, a friend sent me a text and said, Hey, isn't this your picture? And they had printed it as like on their in weekly advertisement. And I thought that's really weird. Like just going to use my photo, not tell me, I'm just going to see it in the news. I mean, I'm proud of it, but thanks. You know, right. like didn't even say anything to me. Now, did you did that, you did that from, for them pro bono or like, did you just take I it for did. yourself or what was the situation there? I was having, you know, I was having fun at the beach and I went over there and just took a photo and just a top-down photo. But previously I had done videography for, um, it's actually a little bar in front of a resort. So I did the videography for the resort, but not any photography. So they didn't know, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have the case there, but I didn't care. I mean, I think that any you would have a case, but it's sort of like if they already hired you to do a job, unless they're being like egregious about it and they're saving all of your photos that you take and they're using them, you know, one photo, if they've already paid you for a job, that's a little more forgivable. But the one that got me, um, and I actually made a friend out of it. So I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm too ungrateful for it. But uh, when I went to Atlantic City, New Jersey, I took some pictures of the Tropicana Hotel there and casino. And they have this just beautiful building right on the beach. It's very, very cool. 
Uh, but I took some pictures at night for them. Uh, you know, I got the necessary waivers and everything like that. Took some pictures during the day. And I actually posted one on like my first or second day there onto my Instagram and tagged them and hashtagged it and everything like that. They contacted me and they said, hey, do you have any more photos or are you still in the area? We'd love to have you take some more for us. So of course I'm like, yeah, I've got more photos. So I sent them what I had and they were like, well, do you care if we use these? And I said, yeah, if you're going to use them on your social media, like, please feel free to use them anywhere you want on social media. I should have probably been more specific that like only social media posts and not like advertisements on social media, because sure enough, I'm in Atlantic City and I'm on my Instagram story scrolling through everybody's stories. And all of a sudden an ad pops up for the Tropicana and isn't one of it like it was literally within 24 hours isn't one of the photos I took on an ad that they put on Instagram. And I was just like, damn, like. (laughs) Like I could have made money off of that. They could have paid me for that. Yeah. And I'm sure they've got some money, at least giving you like free breakfast or something. Well, exactly. It's like, you know, like, Hey, I, I'm just a small guy. And like, can I really do anything about it? Probably not. It would cost me more to hire a lawyer to go after them than it would it's worth for me. But at the same time, it's like, you're a huge, you're a casino for God's sakes in a hotel. You've probably got tons of money. Like just float me a 50 and we'll call it even, you know what I mean? Like that's all I'm asking. So, but it is funny how, and I don't know that it's always, um, people trying to take advantage of creators. I I think more often than not, it's people not understanding the etiquette and you know, they see something on social media and they think, Oh, you know, that's my building that you took a picture of and posted to social media. I should be able to use that wherever I want. It's like, no, that's, that's not how that works. You know, it's, it's just, it's not the same thing. So I do appreciate it when people ask me, Hey, can I use this? Or, Hey, what do you charge for that? That's the question I really like is how much would it be for us to buy these photos from you? Because then I'm like super easy to negotiate with when you come, when you come to the table and ask me, you know, how much I charge, I will definitely work within your budget as best I can. Right. But yeah, I would just ask, you know, if you're going to do that, Hey, at least like put my Instagram handle on it or something. Exactly. And I've, I've sort of gotten away from that too. I don't know how you feel about this. Like I, there are certain circumstances where, yeah, you go ahead, share that. And if they want to share it to their story or they want to repost it and tag me, you know, on, you know, this is the drone geeks post, go to his profile, whatever. That's one thing. But I just recently had a scenario play out where somebody had taken one of my photos and posted it to their Instagram profile. And it was one of those deals where I was like, huh, you know, it's Instagram. So do do I really want to throw a big fit over this? It's not a huge deal, but at the same time, it sort of sets a precedent that I don't want to like continue. Um, But I don't know. I, I, I'm just a little funny about people not paying for what I do because between the drone, the editing, the time it takes to edit, the time it takes to learn how to edit, all the things that go into what we do, it it costs a lot of money when you really translate it out. So when people just take my photos and post them, sometimes I'm okay with it. Other times I'm like, nah, that, that was, I I wouldn't have done that if I were you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that, and that's, that's the difficult thing, but I, I mean, I don't know. I guess uh, to to sort of wrap this point up, because I don't want to rant and just sit here and complain about all the people that haven't paid me because the list would be long. But <laughs> so you are like, you're sort of, you walk the line as well. Like how you're, if you could summarize how you feel about working for exposure, could you put it for in one sentence for me? I'd rather get paid. I, I like it. I like <laughs> it. I'd rather get paid short, sweet, and to the point. And I agree. And I think the problem, and I'd like to get your feelings on this, the problem is 
people don't know how to value what we do. Uh, you look at it and it's a digital photo or a digital video. And you, you know, as a, as a viewer of that, you're like, well, that took them 30 seconds to capture, you know, so they look at it that way. So it's hard for them to stomach the idea of paying us, you know, 25, 35, 40, $50 for like a 30 second clip or one or two photos. But, you know, it really does take time. So I, I guess, you know, what are, what are your feelings on um, negotiating price and trying to be reasonable with your clients and stay within their budget? How do you handle that? That's tough. Um, you know, I think I'm really still learning. Um, I've undercharged. I've probably overcharged a few times too. And so it kind of balances out one way or another. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've talked about this outside of this, just, I think the best way is to charge an hourly rate and then hourly rate for editing and leave room for, you know, Hey, this, this might be a little bit more work, or if I have to go back and, you know, if the weather's not good or whatever, you know, your time costs money. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it doesn't work out, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I don't, I haven't run into this scenario very much. It's, I think it's happened one time for me, maybe more for you because you seem to be a little bit busier than I am commercially. Um, but I've had scenarios where somebody's booked me and I put them on my schedule. I block out that calendar and I turn down other work for that same date range and then they either cancel on me or something happens where, you know, whatever they were planning on doing doesn't happen at the exact time or the exact day that they wanted it to. If it's weather related, I don't hold that against them. That's different. But, you know, when you book my time, there is value in having that spot because I'm not going to give that to somebody else, you know? So the agreement should be like, you're going to pay me for the, at least a portion of that time. If something happens where you can't meet with me or the project can't happen that day. Um, but yeah, valuing time is tough for some people. For sure. For sure. I, and I think you're right. The, the hourly rate is probably the best way to go about it. And, uh, I I've talked to people that price it based upon the product. Like some people are crazy enough to go thir per 30 second clip. And I'm just like, why would you ever do that? That is a mathematical nightmare that I want no part of, because if you shoot, you know, 16 minutes of clip. I mean, I guess that's pretty easy to figure out if you're charging by the 30 second, but it doesn't always end up being 60, 16 minutes and 22 seconds. How do you charge for that? You know, because 22 seconds isn't 30 seconds, but it's also not like 10 seconds. So who takes the loss there? Exactly. Yeah. That, that would be difficult. Mm -hmm. I think that's still kind of learning, like also setting your parameters before the flight, like when you get your client, like find out specifically what they want. And I try to be really detailed with it. And I'm still learning how to ask even more questions because it's just, it's a lot. It's like a, you need a good consultation for sure to know oh, what you're into. Absolutely. And I, the other side that people don't see is the, the piloting side of things, the responsible piloting side of things, getting the authorizations that you need, getting any waivers that you might need. There are a lot of things that go into a flight that they don't think about. They think that you just take your drone, you show up, you launch it and that you're good to go. Um, I recently had a project, they were super understanding, they were easy to work with. So there was no bad, there's nothing bad there, but you know, they contacted me and they gave me a list of 10 addresses they wanted me to go and photograph and take video of. And it was around the city of Philadelphia. 
And, you know, I said to him, Hey, I, I need those exact before they said, we just have 10 locations. I said, I need those addresses up front so I can see what airspace I'm dealing with. And, you know, they sent them over to me, but I had to actually break the news to them. Two out of the 10 addresses, just, it wasn't going to happen. They were in a no fly zone and there's nothing I could do with the time frame that I had to get the approval that I needed to fly in those areas. Um, and people don't realize that, that kind of stuff goes into it. I had a situation, um, I actually went to a lady's house. I knew that she was within right on the cusp of five miles from the airport on the water, on the bluffs. And I mean, we, she wanted me to do it so bad. And I mean, there's nothing you can do. If you can't fly there, you can't fly there. I even contacted the, um, sky warrior, which is our local helicopter tours. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was going to take my camera on a helicopter and get her. Yikes. (laughs) They said, we can't even, we can't even fly over that that area. They said that's the the landing area. So it didn't happen. Yeah. And it, it's, it, that's the thing too, is like, there are certain circumstances where I can unlock a zone or I can get low altitude authorization for flying in some of those areas. But that typically takes time. Now, in certain circumstances, you can get automatic approval depending upon the, the ceiling that you have in the airspace. But if it's a zero ceiling, that takes a manual approval and you know you're not guaranteed to get that so when people you know come to me and they say hey i have something going on tomorrow i want you to fly in this area and i say well that's restricted you know i need to get approval to fly there they go okay well just go ahead and give them a call and it's like that that's not how it works like i can't just call them and ask them if i can fly it might have been the way before but now actually they're urging people drone pilots not to contact air traffic control towers and ask for permission or let them know that they're flying, you're supposed to just go through a LANC um, provider and get that authorization through the system. Right. So, and I think it's what, sometimes it can take a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the one, the flight in Philadelphia, there was one that I was able to apply for. It was a zero ceiling, but it was, I forget what class airspace it was, but I could have gotten the, the authorization. So I applied for it, but it took, I mean, all of 24 hours for them to get back to me and go, yep, you're good to go. You know? So it had, they, had I not applied for it as soon as I did, or I guess as late as I did any later, I would have probably been screwed. It wouldn't have happened. Right. But that's, and that's all that goes into the responsible piloting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that people don't really fully understand what all goes into it. Like, it's not just your basic photography aspects. Now you're dealing with, you know, different positions of the lighting and birds and aircraft. (laughs) Have you ever had a bird attack your drone? Yes. Walk of birds like a month ago. I was downtown Pensacola and I launched and I am not kidding you. These birds were flying past my drone while it's, it's not even 30, 40 feet up in the air. And I'm like freaking out. (laughs) They were freaking out. I was freaking out. I was like, they're either going to kill my drone or my drone's going to kill birds and everybody's going to see it. (laughs) (laughs) The the worst birds, honestly, and I feel bad for you being in Pensacola, the worst birds by far are seagulls. They are such assholes about you. Like if I fly a drone on the beach, I'm almost guaranteed that there's going to be at least three seagulls that are trying to take it out of the air. Everybody is like, aren't you worried about hawks or eagles? 
I've never had an issue with a hawk or, or an eagle. I'm like one time a hawk sort of like try, tested the water and got close, but didn't really try to actively attack my drone. Just sort of let me know that I was in its territory. But I've never had an issue with an eagle. I've never had a hawk be real aggressive with it. But those seagulls, they're bastards. I hate <laughs> them. <laughs> they're awful. Yeah, that's their pain. It's the worst. It really is. But yeah, I, I, I mean, there are a lot of challenges that go into flying drones and we could sit here all day and just go through a, a list and people still wouldn't understand. And I think that's the most frustrating part of it is that people don't see all the work that goes into flying a drone responsibly as a professional pilot. Exactly. And then the art behind it that makes it what you create. Well, exactly. Cause like you have your artist side of your brain that's going, Oh, this would be a beautiful shot. And then you've got your pilot side that's going, yeah, you're not allowed to fly over there. So like, you kind of have to like have them battle it out and figure out how do you get the best shot possible without breaking the rules. And it's a constant battle. It is. And then to also stay like so focused and still and think your movement through, you know, it's just so much going on at one time, which is kind of why I love it because it's really challenging, really like test all aspects of your brain. Oh yeah, for sure. You've got to be sharp, but you've also got to maintain that creative side too and not get too lost in the the technicality of things. Um, and speaking of not being allowed to fly in certain places, uh, what do you, we didn't really touch on this. How do you feel about the, the um, abolishing the waivers for flying at night and then flying over people that that was announced with the remote ID. And I think that was supposed to have happened this month, but they pushed it back, I think into late April now is when that's going to take effect. So how do you feel about that? Are you going to take advantage of that? Yeah. I mean, if, if we can fly over people with no problem, that's, that works for me. I mean, that's a plus. And yeah. I, yeah, sounds good to me. Yes. The, the nighttime is sort of what I'm excited about just because the, you don't have to get like a, a waiver. You, you don't have to get a waiver for either one, depending the, the over people thing. There's some technicalities on that, but nighttime, it's just making sure that you're following all the FAA guidelines and that you have the correct anti-collision lighting on your drone. If you can meet both of those expectations, like once this takes effect and you've update, you've gotten that online recurrent training course taken, um, you're good to go. You can fly at night as much as you want, uh, which I'm super excited about because if I had a dollar for every time a client said, I've got this really, you know, my building's so neat at night, or I've got this really cool light display that I want you to, to photograph. I would have enough money to go and buy 20 drones, <laughs> but I just wasn't allowed to do it because I couldn't get the waiver for it in time. Right. Yeah, it definitely opens some more doors for sure. But the the flying over people, it, I don't know how, it, how familiar you are with the the rules for that. There are a lot of technicalities with that. I don't want to like preach at you if you already know them. Yeah, no, I don't know a whole lot. Tell me about it. So they've broken these the drones down into four different categories. So you've category one, two, three, and four, and each one, each category. And I, off the top of my head, I can't remember all of the specifics. But like category one are drones that are less than 0.55 uh, pounds. So that would be your Mavic Minis, and they don't have exposed blades, and they don't deliver so much impact. Uh, you know, when they fall and they hit a rigid object. So there are these different classifications that drones fall into, and that determines whether or not a you're allowed to fly over people because there are drones that you're just not allowed to do it. It doesn't matter that there's no waiver system in place anymore for it. And then B, there are drones that you're allowed to fly over people, but you need to meet certain criteria in order to do that. So like the Mavic Pro, for instance, I think that falls into category three. If I did my math correctly, it, it, I, I don't know. I can't remember. But anyway, we would need to file a, um, you know, a 
something that gave the FAA an outline of how we were going to mitigate the risk of flying over top of people, what we were going to do to mitigate that risk, our plan for, you know, how the flight's going to go, everything like that, giving them all the details. It's not a waiver. It's just a submission that we let them know, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. Um, but there's all this criteria you have to meet. So there have been people that have told me they're really excited about not having to file a waiver to fly over people anymore. It's not quite that cut and dry. Uh, so you just got to make sure that you're, you know, keeping all your ducks in a row and that you're doing the right things because the FAA, as we've seen with like the case in Philadelphia, uh, they can get pretty stiff when it comes to their fines and getting people in trouble if they want to. Yeah. I think we had a guy fly really close to our blue angels at some point. Yeah. Yeah. He got, I think he got really fined and jailed, jailed. Right. I don't remember exactly. I think so. Well, I know that the kid kid, he's probably in his twenties. I think, uh, the, the one guy flew near the super bowl, like 30 yeah. minutes before the start time. And that's a huge no, no, like just don't do it. And I, I guess he went to jail. Like he's in jail for, I think it's five years. And it's just like, dude, like just do your, re like, yeah. You had one job, like just fly yeah. responsibly. <laughs> like what, what did you, why are you doing that? But, it, and it makes the rest of us look bad too. That's the other side yeah, of it. Exactly. And, and I think that in a way it punishes everybody. It really does because now that person that turned on their, you know, their news network that they watch, they see that story and they go, oh, those drone pilots are up to no good all the time. And then when they go out and they see me flying my drone the next day, you know, they're more prone to give me a rift of shit because they think that I'm just like that guy that broke the rules. And it's like, well, no, most of us don't break the rules. Otherwise this wouldn't be a thing. Exactly. So, but yeah, I, that's, that's what's going on with those two. Uh, you won't need waivers. Um, for flying over people at night. I, again, I don't know all the specifics since they've made the changes they've made to the dates and everything, but that does bring me to another point. What do you think about that new training course? Instead of having to take your recurrent knowledge test and pay $150 every time to keep your part 107 current, you go and take a free online training course every two years and you're good to go. Sounds good to me. Heck yeah. I, I don't, I'm all for it. I'm, if I can do it from the comfort of my own home in my PJs and just like stress-free environment, that's totally cool. <laughs> I was put like a little closet cubicle to take my test, man. They're brutal. I was in, you know, in high school, taking my SAT again. I, right. I mean, like you talk about, you're trying to be as relaxed as possible and they just throw you in this room. It does it. My, like my room was super dark. And I just remember like the only real light source that I had when I was taking my test was the computer monitors behind me and the computer monitor in front of me while I was on there taking the actual test. I just remember sitting there thinking, this is not helping my, my stress and my anxiety right now. I'm trying to focus on this test, but all I can think about is the fact that I don't like that anything could be happening around me and I can't see it. Right. <laughs> I just remember that I got done with the test. I submitted, you know, I was like, okay, I'm done. And then it just was like, okay, like the computer didn't give me my, my test score. And I'm like, what does this mean? So I go to the front desk and the lady's like, are you okay? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of stressed out. She's like, why? I'm like, because I, she's like, oh, it didn't tell you that you passed or not. I'm like, no. She's like, oh, you passed. I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> That's funny. I, I went through a similar situation. Uh, yeah, I got done and I was like, okay, where's my test score? Uh, I've taken a million practice tests online and it tells me on my test score at the end. And so I went out and I was like, I think I'm done. I, I don't know. I said, I'm done answering questions. I don't know if I finished the test though. And so she went in and she checked on the computer. She said, yeah, I think you're done. And so she went to her computer that had the results on it and she opened it up and 
she took it it probably was only 15 seconds but it felt like an hour to like finally tell me my score she just sat there and stared at her computer and i was like dying inside i was like i need to know did i pass and uh she was like congratulations you passed and i was like oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like thank you that's all i needed <laughs> yeah exactly now i only got and i i would not expect you to share your test score but i only got like a 77 so like i'm i'm no expert and i went back and i like i reviewed all the material that i missed and i was i made sure that i studied up on that and really made sure i knew that stuff after the fact but uh you know that even her telling me that i got the equivalent of like a c minus i was just so happy that i actually passed it because <laughs> i was just like i don't think i'm going to pass this right i think i made an 87 Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. They they threw some tough trick questions in mine. Oh, those sectional charts are awful. Like it's like I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I don't even I know what you're asking me, but like there's just it's so busy on this little tiny square that's like this big. I don't know what's going on. Like I can't even read this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I kind of assumed I was like, I bet there's gonna be some questions that are like straight from like the remote pilot app, you know, like verbatim questions. There was one, just one. That's the worst. <laughs> so you use a remote pilot app? Like did you use 101 or what'd you use? Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I think it was remote pilot 101. I want, well, I used the remote pilot 101 study guide. Okay. So I actually took like, the classes, watched the videos. I did that about a month. And the first two weeks I just complained like, I hate the stupid. And then finally, when I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to just stop complaining and just do it. And then it was like, I picked up the material. I understood it. Okay. I'm ready to go. I think it took me like maybe three weeks of like really studying and really going over it a lot to get it. They recommend 20 hours, I think of, stu- of total study time or something like that. Sure. I mean, yeah. I, I, would say I definitely would recommend remote, um, remote pilot 101. I think that's what it's called. Um, that's, I think it was about $100, $150 for the study guide. I know but, that they're like super highly regarded. Like they're they're sort of the standard for part 107 prep. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, especially if you get the book, which I originally got the book off Amazon. Um, it, it doesn't, you don't have any guidelines. You don't really know. Like if you're not a pilot, like I have zero experience in this. So I'm literally having to start from scratch. Like you got to start with a class, I think. I mean, my personality does. I'm not, you know, not the brightest person. My, I had uh, uh, somebody that told me about, you know, how to prepare for the test. And it's funny, they gave me the exact opposite um, advice. And I, I can't say I'm upset for listening to them. Uh, I feel like if I hadn't, I probably would have gotten a better test score. But the reason they said not to get invested in like Remote Pilot 101 is almost exactly how you started your story. You're going to hate it and it's going to scare you away from doing it. And he was like, you, you don't, he said, just study what you can online. You know, here are the things you need to know, understand how to read these things and just do the best you can with the knowledge that's out there that you, you know, don't have to sign up for a course for, and you'll be fine. And so I did that. And again, probably would have gotten a lot higher score had I had like a, some structure to the way that I studied it. But I, I do think that there probably is a portion of people that start studying with like remote pilot 101 and they go, Nope, not interested. I don't want to do any of this. This is too much, you know? 
And really, once you have the knowledge, it's not hard. Like it, you, you're not constantly looking over sectional charts. You're not constantly reading METARs and TAFs and stuff like that. It's just a facet of the things you need to know. Exactly. And, and I would say even a small facet of what really goes on with your drone. Exactly. And there are just so many resources out there now that make it easy to, you know, understand your airspace and how to fly safely. And I feel like this, I'm like, if I could pass that, like not having any knowledge of any, anything with air aircraft, I'm like, it kind of made me feel a little bit more confident. Like, okay, I studied something completely out of my realm and I understand it. So, um, once you get it, you kind of got it. So that's a good thing. I would agree with that. And it's, there are slight changes that happen to the rules. Like for instance, uh, abolishing some of the waivers that were set in place before. Uh, some of that is like, I forget that that's happening. Uh, and I also forget about the new recurrent knowledge course rather than just like the tests that you have to take every two years. So there are small changes that happen that you need to be aware of. But overall, like airspace is airspace and they've been managing it much the same for like the past like 60 years. Uh, so it, it's not going to change so greatly that you take the test in 2020 or 2019. And then in 2050, it's like drastically different. It doesn't change that much. Right. For sure. But so I, we are reaching sort of the end of our time here, which I'm sad to say, but uh, I'm hoping that you'll be back on. But I did want to talk a little bit about what you've got coming up. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about where people can find you. And I want to just give you maybe the last couple minutes here to sort of talk about whatever you want to talk about, projects you're working on, your social media platforms, you know, what, you, what you're going to get involved with. And just use this as your soapbox because I, I, re I really love the work that you do. The stuff you put on your Instagram is great. My girlfriend loves your stuff on Instagram. Um, it, you know, I think you've got a lot of potential with your YouTube channel. I'm excited about you. I know that there are a lot of other people that can get excited about you too. So I'm just going to open the floor for you and just let her rip. Yeah. So, um, right now I've got a few goals in the works, um, locally here where I live. Um, I recently discovered a motocross track, which I've been shooting at. And now I found out that we have a, um, I don't even know what you'd call it, like truck mudding. So oh, okay. <laughs> get into filming truck mudding. That's my next project. Um, and I'm just kind of working on my skills as far as photography. I've got a few things that I have on my list of goals that I want to learn and places I want to explore. So that's kind of where I'm heading. That's very cool. And if people want to follow you where you're heading and the things that you're working on, um, can you, you know, like give us some, like your, your Instagram, let them know where they can find you. I'm going to link all this in the, the video description down below for anybody watching this on YouTube. Um, and if you're listening on Spotify, you can just go to my YouTube channel and find the links there, but just tell us where they can find you on Instagram as well as your YouTube channel. Um, the drone princess on Instagram. And I don't even know my YouTube channel. I think it might be Emily Bailey. Uh, that's that's your. I think that's your display name. Now, what your link is, I'm not sure. And just so everybody knows, I don't want to speak for Emily on this, but your you your plan is to jump back into your YouTube and start doing more video content. So I know that right now there's only like maybe two or three videos, but stuff is on the way. Um, it's from my understanding anyway. So they should still take the time to follow you on YouTube or subscribe to you on YouTube as well. Yes working on that, getting in a video. Um, it's going to be a little slow process. I've got some surgery and stuff coming up. So um, that's kind of why I'm in like a little standstill right now because I've got so much life stuff going on. But um, yeah, definitely find me on YouTube. It's Emily Bailey. It's B-A-I-L-L-Y. Um, and Instagram, The Drone Princess. 
Awesome. Yeah. And I can attest, uh, the YouTube will be awesome, but the Instagram, if you really want to see what she's all about, go check it out right now at the drone princess. She's got some awesome stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. Like I scroll through your profile and like, I'll see a picture that maybe I didn't notice before. Cause I was too busy looking at another picture. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Like some of the symmetry that you capture is just fantastic. So definitely worth the view, definitely worth the follow. So I highly recommend it at the drone princess, as well as on YouTube as Am Emily Bailey. So, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Emily, I hope that you'll be on again sometime, maybe pretty soon, if you're interested. Sure. Excellent. I'm, I'm hoping to get like a cast of regulars that I have in my network here that'll just, you know, come on every once in a while and just give us an update as to where you're at and talk about the latest and greatest things in the drone world. So I, I hope that I can include you in that, in that fold. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, this has been Let's Talk Drones with the Drone Geek. I've been joined by Emily Bailey, the Drone Princess on Instagram. Make sure you check her out on her Instagram profile as well as here on YouTube. And until next time, I'm Chris, that's Emily, and we are out of here.